Part two, chapter two of True Stories from History and Biography by Nathaniel Hawthorne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. You recollect, my dear children, said Grandfather, that we took leave of the chair in sixteen ninety two while it was occupied by Sir William Phipps. This fortunate treasure seeker, you will remember, had come over from England with King William's commission to be governor of Massachusetts. Within the limits of this province were now included the old colony of Plymouth and the territories of Maine and Nova Scotia. Sir William Phipps had likewise brought a new charter from the king, which served instead of a constitution, and set forth the method in which the province was to be governed. Did the new charter allow the people all their former liberties? inquired Lawrence. No, replied Grandfather. Under the first charter, the people had been the source of all power. Winthrop, Endicott, Bradstreet, and the rest of them had been governors by the choice of the people, without any interference of the king. But henceforth the governor was to hold the station solely by the king's appointment and during his pleasure and the same was the case with the lieutenant-governor and some other high officers. The people, however, were still allowed to choose representatives, and the governor's council was chosen by the general court. Would the inhabitants have elected Sir William Phipps, asked Lawrence, if the choice of governor had been left to them? He might probably have been a successful candidate, answered Grandfather, for his adventures and military enterprises had gained him a sort of renown, which always goes a great way with the people. And he had many popular characteristics, being a kind, warm-hearted man, not ashamed of his low origin, nor haughty in his present elevation. Soon after his arrival he proved that he did not blush to recognize his former associates. How was that? inquired Charlie. He made a grand festival at his new brick house, said Grandfather, and invited all the ship carpenters of Boston to be his guests. At the head of the table, in our great chair, sat Sir William Phipps himself, treating these hard-handed men as his brethren, cracking jokes with them and talking familiarly about old times. I know not whether he wore his embroidered dress, but I rather choose to imagine that he had on a suit of rough clothes, such as he used to labor in, while he was Phipps the ship carpenter. 
an aristocrat need not be ashamed of the trade observed lawrence for the czar peter the great once served an apprenticeship to it did sir william phipps make as good a governor as he was a ship carpenter asked charlie history says but little about his merits as a ship carpenter answered grandfather but as a governor a great deal of fault was found with him almost as soon as he assumed the government he became engaged in a very frightful business which might have perplexed a wiser and better cultivated head than his this was the witchcraft delusion and here grandfather gave his auditors such details of this melancholy affair as he thought it fit for them to know they shuddered to hear that a frenzy which led to the death of many innocent persons had originated in the wicked arts of a few children they belonged to the reverend mr paris minister of salem these children complained of being pinched and pricked with pins and otherwise tormented by the shapes of men and women who were supposed to have power to haunt them invisibly both in darkness and daylight often in the midst of their family and friends the children would pretend to be seized with strange convulsions and would cry out that the witches were afflicting them these stories spread abroad and caused great tumult and alarm from the foundation of new england it had been the custom of the inhabitants in all matters of doubt and difficulty to look to their ministers for counsel so they did now but unfortunately the ministers and wise men were more deluded than the illiterate people cotton mather a very learned and eminent clergyman believed that the whole country was full of witches and wizards who had given up their hopes of heaven and signed a covenant with the evil one nobody could be certain that his nearest neighbor or most intimate friend was not guilty of this imaginary crime the number of those who pretended to be afflicted by witchcraft grew daily more numerous they bore testimony against many of the best and worthiest people a minister named george burroughs was among the accused in the months of August and September 1692, he and nineteen other innocent men and women were put to death. The place of execution was a high hill on the outskirts of Salem, so that many of the sufferers, as they stood beneath the gallows, could discern their own habitations in the town the martyrdom of these guiltless persons seemed only to increase the madness 
the afflicted now grew bolder in their accusations many people of rank and wealth were either thrown into prison or compelled to flee for their lives among these were two sons of old simon bradstreet the last of the puritan governors mr willard a pious minister of boston was cried upon as a wizard in open court mrs hale the wife of the minister of beverly was likewise accused philip english a rich merchant of salem found it necessary to take flight leaving his property and business in confusion but a short time afterwards the salem people were glad to invite him back the boldest thing that the accusers did continued grandfather was to cry out against the governor's own beloved wife yes the lady of sir william phipps was accused of being a witch and of flying through the air to attend witch meetings when the governor heard this he probably trembled so that our great chair shook beneath him dear grandfather cried little alice clinging closer to his knee is it true that witches ever come in the night-time to frighten little children no no dear little alice replied grandfather even if there were any witches they would flee away from the presence of a pure-hearted child but there are none and our forefathers soon became convinced that they had been led into a terrible delusion all the prisoners on account of witchcraft were set free but the innocent dead could not be restored to life and the hill where they were executed will always remind people of the saddest and most humiliating passage in our history grandfather said that the next remarkable event while sir william phipps remained in the chair was the arrival at boston of an english fleet in sixteen ninety three it brought an army which was intended for the conquest of canada but a malignant disease more fatal than the smallpox broke out among the soldiers and sailors and destroyed the greater part of them the infection spread into the town of boston and made much havoc there this dreadful sickness caused the governor and sir francis wheeler who was commander of the british forces to give up all thoughts of attacking canada soon after this said grandfather sir william phillips quarrelled with the captain of an english frigate and also with the collector of boston being a man of violent temper he gave each of them a sound beating with his cane he was a bold fellow observed charlie who was himself somewhat addicted to a similar mode of settling disputes 
more bold than wise replied grandfather for complaints were carried to the king and sir william phipps was summoned to england to make the best answer he could accordingly he went to london where in sixteen ninety five he was seized with a malignant fever of which he died had he lived longer he would probably have gone again in search of sunken treasure he had heard of a spanish ship which was cast away in fifteen o two during the lifetime of columbus bovadilla roldan and many other spaniards were lost in her together with the immense wealth of which they had robbed the south american kings why grandfather exclaimed lawrence what magnificent ideas the governor had only think of recovering all that old treasure which had lain almost two centuries under the sea methinks sir william phipps ought to have been buried in the ocean when he died so that he might have gone down among the sunken ships and cargoes of treasure which he was always dreaming about in his lifetime he was buried in one of the crowded cemeteries of london said grandfather as he left no children his estate was inherited by his nephew from whom is descended the present marquis of normandy the noble marquis is not aware perhaps that the prosperity of his family originated in the successful enterprise of a new england ship carpenter End of part two chapter two